and welcome to the 42 Rugby Show. After a deeply disappointing weekend for Irish rugby, the Ireland under-20s were beaten in the final of the World Rugby Under-20 Championship and Joe Schmidt's men missed out on a possible series success in South Africa. We're delighted to be joined by Shane Jennings to reflect on events and we're going to look at Ireland's attack. They had almost 70% of the possession, but they just couldn't consistently score points. We'll look at Andy Farrell's influence on Ireland's defence on this tour. We'll discuss the non-red card decision against Willie LaRue and we'll reflect on where Ireland stand now, looking towards some big challenges in the rest of 2016. Shane, thanks so much for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. First of, all, first of all, let's look at that under-20s defeat. <coughs> a lot of promising uh, signs in this tournament. Was it an underperformance in the final, do you think? Yeah, it probably was. I'd say they're disappointed because they probably feel they didn't give a, a fair reflection of the talent within the group and individual performances probably weren't as good as they had been throughout the competition. So from that point of view, they'd be very disappointed. But the reality is they probably weren't let. And England were very good. And England deserved their win. They took their opportunities. Very, very good high skill level from a lot of the English players with all flows that put Ireland under pressure, big ball carriers, and they executed when they got the opportunity. So from an England point of view, even though I don't like to see it or say it, they were very good. And the future does look good for them, but the future always looks good for England. They've got a conveyor belt. I think we potentially might have four academies in our country. They, God knows, they'd be up 25, 30 potentially. So uh, that's the reality. Um, but I think Ireland have made massive strides in terms of the opposition that they played throughout the competition, how well they played and the confidence that they'll get. And from looking at it as an outsider, physically they look developed. Now they can just maintain that and obviously increase on it over the coming years, which will they be allowed if they go into certain academies or certain senior structures. But they'll take this and they'll learn from it and, you know, great learning, uh, great learning curve for them. But they need to adapt and they need to evolve their play. But brilliant, really, really good, really positive. And they deserve a lot of credit, but they'll be hurting because now why, why couldn't they have won, you know, just because it's England or New Zealand, I think they showed in the, the group stages that they didn't care who New Zealand were and they did a great job, so it's just unfortunate, but these things happen. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the physical side of things, because before the tournament, Nigel Carroll, the head coach, his comments actually surprised me so close to the tournament. He said Ireland's age-grade teams are physically, technically, tactically a small bit behind. Um, I don't know what message that sent to the players, but clearly it inspired a few of them. Now, the RFU are trying to address that. They're going to actually go in and, and get players at the age of 15, 16 earlier, get them onto weights programmes, nutrition programmes. Is that the way that the sport is going, that you need to get that early intervention? And Like Ireland have done well to compete in this tournament, but you can always be, be better. Yeah, I, I don't know is the, is, the, is the full answer, but I would be from a mentality or a kind of an idea where I hate the idea of a 15 or 16 year old doing weights and <laughs> probably sound like an old parent here getting worried about oh they're too big but I mean it in a way of I think what we saw in the World Cup was a skill level that if we can get our young players playing at a, a certain level and, a, and evolving their skills whether that's with the ball without the ball their vision their appreciation for space all these things are what you deem as a skill balanced with the idea of developing. But like you do get late developers. I think nutrition is a massive issue. Get them on a right nutritional path in those ages where you do develop massively is, is, is massive, obviously. But getting the right balance. I would hate to see an under 20 side. I don't think we had it. We had a nice balance with our under 20s this year. I don't want to see a load of big, huge, strong men when I'd be able to actually catch pass, execute. You don't see the New Zealand, granted New Zealand under 20s, they've got some big men. But the principles are pretty much the same good catch pass, available, uh, aware of space, 
and trying to develop that mindset of getting the ball to space. And you saw the Racing fullback, uh, his name escapes Dulan. Dulan. Not the biggest man. He kind of reminds me of uh, Ringrose at the moment. Just because they're not physically maybe the biggest, they still can get a sidestep. They still can use their evasion to get to space and get a good offload or not being in a confrontational way where it's going to slow the ball down. So I think, listen, there's no magic answer, but I think targeting players at that age, yeah, definitely. It's always, we're very lucky in Ireland. Our school system, our club system, our youth system, they're all very, very good. And we've got good people in place, but we can always improve on it. And we can always get that younger talent to develop on those skills so when they get to 19, 20 years of age, when they go to these tournaments, that it's not Jesus, we're Irish, only a small country, we're not as good as everybody. Hold on a sec, get rid of that idea. We're good enough to compete with anybody. We've done it in the past, I know uh, Jamie Heathcliff's vintage did very, very under well. 21, yeah. Under 21, Paddy Wallace at under 19s did very well, that vintage. So we've always been there, thereabouts, but it'd be brilliant just to get rid of this mindset that you know we can compete, of course we can compete. Yeah, it looks to be changing. Finally, just on, on that under-20s crop, like it, it is a development tool, or if you use it as a development tool, some really promising players there, guys like Andrew Porter, James Ryan, Jacob Stockdale, fullback. He's probably the only one who has that pro club experience. <coughs> Are the opportunities there for these guys, and, and do we maybe need to be a bit more aggressive in pushing them through? The, like James Ryan is a massive talent, but you don't want to go and let him sit in an academy for two years mm -hmm. without playing games. Do we need to be aggressive and get the best talent through? I think that's where we have to trust our coaching systems and getting that balance again. You know, like we all have opinions and we say, yeah, throw in the young guys. But there has to be an appreciation to their development and their pathway to get, maybe it is the right thing to throw in a guy at 19, 20 years of age if he's developed enough. But if you throw him in and he breaks down in two or three years time and then he's going to carry knocks for the rest of his career, Obviously, that's not what we want. So it's getting the balance right. I think with the Pro 12, there is an opportunity for these guys. And I'm of the opinion, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So yeah, give them a go, because I think you're genuinely going to see the age profile of players coming down. And you can see even from the international side, the age demographic across the team is a lot younger probably than it has been in the past. And that's just the way the game is going. So yeah, if you're good enough, give them the opportunity. And I think there will be opportunities there with the likes of the BNI, with the likes of Pro 12. And if they're good enough, they're going to get a crack at Heineken Cup. But as you saw, Heineken Cup is a very, very different level to Pro 12. And um, there's some steep learning curves that are there. Yeah. Tesser will be uh, no, no country for old men. Ireland had some youngsters in their squad, a bit of inexperience, lots of changes on this tour in South Africa. It's so, such a disappointing end to it. How do you reflect on, on the tour? Is it a su successful tour? No, it's not. Uh, because... It's not a success, obviously, because we lost. But I think, for example, Paddy Jackson, I thought he was fantastic. Uh, I don't understand the grief he gets that he's not up to this level or whatever. I think he's a brilliant player. He's been brilliant for us for a lot of years. And he's developing, and he will develop further. But he's done very, very well. There's a lot of players throughout the tour who have done very, very well who weren't given the opportunity or the kind of the backing maybe to say, do you know what, they're going to do well over here. Everybody was going, even Joe's comments at the end were saying, do you know what, if I got these results before I went, I probably would have taken them. I hate that attitude. And I think he'll probably, he didn't mean it in the way I'm probably interpreting it. But like, South Africa are no great shakes, you know what I mean? And just because they're South African, I, I appreciate how difficult it is to go there, the environment when you're over there after a very long season. Though, all, every single one of those guys that are over there are stuck together with super glue at the moment. Like, they're bashed. And they've done so, so well. And I just, it's such a missed opportunity. And I'd wish, I don't know if I'm right in saying this or if that was the attitude. Do you know what? We were probably just happy that we would go over. We're going to South Africa. Nobody's ever done this before. If we put in a good show, you know, we've done all right. They had an opportunity to win it. 
And in fairness, it's just such fine margins that the standard they set in the first test, they had them in the second test, and it was just a swing of momentum or whatever. And then the third test, we were there. We could have done it. We genuinely could have done it. And it was fine, fine margins. So they're just, they deserve an unbelievable amount of credit what they, what they did. But at the same time, they'll be kicking themselves because that was a missed opportunity. Yeah. So let's look at Ireland's attack in this game. We have some of the stats up here, pretty stark possession and territory stats. And I know that's not everything in rugby. Like so many tries come from turnover situations, but, but having that much dominance in a good position in the field suggests that you probably should score more than one try. They scored one try when South Africa were down to 14 men after, after Leroux's yellow card, which we're going to discuss. But why do you think they struggled so much? What are the things that stood out to you in Ireland's attacking play that for the reasons they didn't actually score more, mm. more tries? I think from an outsider looking at it, I don't have a full appreciation of the intangibles, how fatigued they were, how mentally fatigued they probably were after a very long tour and a long season. And I know that sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but it's not. And I think that manifests itself in a skill level, maybe overrunning certain things, maybe forcing a pass at times, and the opposition having a better understanding of what Ireland actually are and what they're trying to do. So I think South Africa from game one to game three were a different animal. And you could see that in, in terms of, I think, their mentality in being confrontational, I think in intensity and their carries and in their line speed was a bit different. But I think Ireland, when they look back at it, they'll go, Jesus, you know what, we actually, we forced that pass. I should have held that. You saw Paddy Jackson at one stage saying, sorry, I should have caught it. And like they were there, there about hand. Jordy Murphy fired a ball, which is just probably too hard at halfway, a, yeah. on the halfway on a switch. So I think those little things, it's easy for a fan and an observer to go, God, their, their skill level at them. But there's reasons for it. But they're the reasons that if you get these things right, if you hold on to the ball, if you build phases, you saw when we scored the try, that was holding on to the ball. The South Africans defend so narrow around the rook that one pass from our scrum half to our first carrier was usually beating three or four people. And I've been on before and we've talked about trying to get on that outside and going around the corner. Because that's where they're so strong and they defend so well in there, one pass can beat a lot of defenders. And if you beat them around the corner, you will get that opportunity. I think that's where some of our success came from. And they didn't execute or take their opportunities as well as South Africa did. Like, we'll talk about the South Africa try. And like, you can say, yes, if they were in different positions, they might've been able to stop it. But at certain times, you just go, you gotta take your hat off. Like, that was an unbelievable kick, unbelievable catch, full pace, and they executed at a critical time in the game. Whereas Ireland had opportunities, and unfortunately, they didn't execute and get the, the reward they probably deserved when you see the possession, possession and territory and the effort they were putting in, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and that's why I come back to the point of we, we missed out on an opportunity. It wasn't as if we were beaten out the gate. It wasn't as if we only had one or two opportunities. We had a number of opportunities. And I think that will be the disappointing from a fan's point of view, but also more importantly from their point of view. Yeah, like two of the starkest opportunities when Luke Marshall makes a break, like the build-up play is really, really excellent. Uh, Ian Henderson turns the ball over, probably wasn't 10 metres back, he strips the ball off Faf de Klerk, and they attack up the left. Marshall makes a big break, but he just can't find that pass mm -hmm. there. So that's, that's the clinical edge you're talking about. And, the, and that actually turns into the South Africans going down yeah. and scoring like minutes later. The, the, uh, the second big chance, and we're going to have a look at it here, was when Paddy Jackson got picked off on the intercept by Faf de Klerk in the right corner. We have this situation set up here. It was actually lovely build-up play. It was kind of a classic Schmidt. Uh, Stander came around, peeled off the line-out, got a really good carry into that seam between the back of the line-out mm -hmm. and, and the first defender. Then Jordy gets outside the 10, really good carry again, and they set up this maul in open play. It's always a bizarre side, isn't it, I think? Um, and, and, they, and Joe, I think, felt they could have maybe kept in there a bit longer, but they come to the right, 
Jackson comes around with Olding, and suddenly they have this, this four on two, really, because Whiteley has to kind of commit. It's such a hard position to defend. Do I commit to them all? Do I stay out? And the ball gets into Jackson's hands, and realistically, it's a four on two. Faf kind of shoots up here. Olding's on his right shoulder. And again, as you say, it's so easy to pick out this after the game, but that's the real difference in mm. Tess Roby, is that Jackson either goes to the line himself early or hits Olding just off his shoulder in that little space that's created by Faf coming up. Instead, he throws that kind of loot pass, which the miss pass is such a, it's a sin in rugby. Yeah. It, it infuriates coaches, I know, and I can see why in situations like that, when you, have, when you have the numbers up. That that clinical edge, is that something that comes with test experience? Like, there's inexperience in that midfield. Does Paddy Jackson now go and look at that again and say, oh, you know, I'm never going to do that again? I, I can't imagine Johnny Sexton doing that. No, I, I, I think we, you hit the nail on the head. I think it is experience, and you learn from it. And that's, you have to, because... After Clerk did a thing there, he shot out of line. If we'd have scored, he mightn't do he mightn't do that again. He gets confidence from that time where he goes, Do you know what I'll do it again here at the end when he got Earls? So it should be in a penalty, actually. I just have to get that in. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't roll away, but it was brilliant read. Amazing yeah. read. Second in that pass. And that's the thing. If you make a read, you better make sure that you do what you you're going to do. So if the ball there, you gotta get man and all, stop the ball, end of the move. If you don't, it's a try. Just like the pass. If that pass goes to hand, what a brilliant decision, what a great move. If it's a couple of inches higher, we're, we're in. So that's the small margins that I was trying to say, how close we were to actually getting a series win, to winning the game. It's fine, fine margins. Fine margins, I think, you learn that and you, you mentally develop from experience. So Paddy Jackson will go, do you know what? I'll never forget that, but next time I do it, I'm gonna make the right decision, you would hope. Mm. Uh, like that option where if he could have gone off the shoulder or there was more chatter in and around. We don't know what it was like, but that's exactly the situation. And uh, unfortunately, the small scrum half managed to get up and block it. So, um, yeah, fine margins and, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. tough one. Faf de Klerk defended really brilliantly for such a small guy, some amazing tackles. But I suppose it has to go down as an Ireland error. And there was, there was 17, I went through the attack last night. There were so many different attacking passages, but 17 of them ended with Ireland making an error, like an unforced error, a knock-on or, or a poor pass. It's always hard to pick out why did, why did a team make an error. You say they lost because they made 17 attacking mm. errors, unbelievably high number. C can you pinpoint that? Does it lead back to maybe that mindset or does it lead back to that fatigue or, or what are the things that build up to such a big error counter attack? Yeah, I think post-game for the public and for coaches, it's easy for them to peel it back and go, if we had done this at this stage, we would have got to this position, we would have got points, we would have scored a try if you'd have done this. That, that's true, but it's not black and white. There's lots of intangibles, there's lots of factors at play where guys are genuinely exhausted. Um, and when you're exhausted, your chat goes. You're not as vocal with each other. You may kind of step up a bit more. You're not, you don't hold your depth as much. So you're anxious because you're fatigued. You feel you mightn't get to that pass. You mightn't get to that area as quick. So there's all these factors when you're fatigued. Your thought process kind of dwindles a little bit as well. So these are all things that we probably don't appreciate what are happening in this situation. But that's the level that these guys are at. Like, I'm being harsh on Reese Ruddock where he went off his feet. Like, that's just uncharacteristic. And you saw throughout the whole game, there was lads going off their feet. Like that sub, the second row that came on and blitzed Conor Murray, like he just dove in. But it's a picture that you give to a ref in a moment of time. It was nearly an easy decision for him to do because he's right in front of him. Ireland are building pressure. The ref's getting under a bit of pressure. He goes, do you know what? I'm actually probably going to have to give them three points or they're going to have to create an opportunity to score. I'm off the hook and it's a good try. 
But if he has an easy out and an easy picture in front of him, yeah, it's ticking the box, I've got this. And I think that's a certain part of it. Certain, there was definitely a lot of opportunities. And I think being critical of the Irish team, they, they were, that was the difference. The opportunities to hold on to the ball, to maybe be more accurate in their passing, their delivery, their, their ball presentation on the ground would have been allowed them to execute a bit better. And I think, listen, it's the, it's the harsh reality. It's not fair us commenting on it because we don't know what they, those guys were putting, what they went through. But it's such a pity that <laughs> it's easy from the sidelines. Yeah, if they yeah. could have done that, they would have won. Yeah, we're going to come back to referees getting an easy out a little bit later. But finally on the attack, when we had you in during the Six Nations, you spoke about maybe wanting to see a bit more, um, I think you used subtleties was, was the word, in Ireland's attack. Have you seen that in this tour? Yeah, I think there's been an effort, definitely. Um, and you would hope that the players would see the reward in it. I think in the New Zealand game, you saw uh, the hooker going through off a try, just off a simple pass off uh, from nine to a four, and he just leaves it up off his shoulder. Little things like that. And you could see Ireland, Jamie tried one off his shoulder as well, and Paddy dropped it. And I think getting the ball away from especially against South Africa. You can run into South Africans all day. They love collisions and that's going to be them in their comfort zone. You saw where we said they're tight in and around the rook where they might have three or four defenders. So getting the ball outside that, getting the ball behind a decoy runner. I thought at times our decoy runners weren't really attracting too many defenders. But again, easy to say from the sidelines. But if you can improve on those things and an attacker from an Ireland point of view who's coming in as a decoy is an option where a defender has to focus their attention on it, it will free up a bit of space and time for the next uh, ball carrier or ball receiver. So, yeah, I definitely think they're trying to develop on it. And I think they, I hope they see the benefit of it because you do see the benefit of it. And allowing for these, like you saw Oling, Oling in a bit, a bit of time and space, his feet are unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. He so left like Francois Lowe for dead at one stage. I think he actually injured his shoulder, this step was so quick. And like, that's the thing. So like, if you give guys the opportunity to use his feet, use their feet, give them the opportunity to get the ball into their hands and execute a bit better. The execution wasn't good, we've, we've addressed that, but the opportunity to do that on an ongoing basis, I think that's where we're going to be good. So Andy Farrell has come in on this tour. How did you rate Ireland's defensive performance overall? Yeah, I think very good. I think in the first test you saw increase in line speed. I think it's probably harsh to say, oh, because he's come in, our line speed has improved, but I think a fresh voice, a few different suggestions or ideas, and maybe one or two different methods in, in, in the actual process that they're trying to do just freshens everybody up and kind of invigorates them or whatever. So I think in the first test you saw incredible line speed. I think South Africa didn't know what Ireland were about to be fair. They had just come together, new coaching systems, new players in and around the team or whatever. Um, second test was good as well. And then the third test I thought you saw a difference in South Africa in terms of their carry and they understood what Ireland defence was trying to do, to do to them a bit better. So they focused on obviously better ball carrier, more attention in the breakdown, that kind of physical presence that they pride themselves on, which certainly negates line speed when they emphasise their ball carry a bit more. So uh, it kind of balanced out a bit. But the principles of it, getting off the line, working hard for each other, you saw we were pretty good at only tackler plus one a lot of the times. So when I say tackler, so there's a tackler actually tackle the South African opposition. And if the opportunity is to go in and try and slow the ball or the tackler to get back on their feet and cause some more damage or try and get more South Africans to commit to the rook was quite evident through the, through the whole series. So because there's only one tackler or tackler plus one, that allows a lot more players in Ireland to be on their feet, to get into position earlier, to get off the line. And I think over the course of the whole series, I think it was very positive, it was very good. Yeah. Inter interesting you mentioned guys being in the line because I think we saw Conor Murray 
in the line even more than he has been. He's always a, a frontline defender. He loves making big hits. He's a physical guy, aggressive guy. In the first test, I thought it was just because Stander was off the pitch that he had to fill that role. But even in the second, and especially in this test, you saw him in the line all the time. Um, and they probably didn't have that sweeper. I actually thought South Africa might try and exploit that space a bit more. In the second test, we saw that one chip from Yankees, mm -hmm. that Vili Leroux caught. But they didn't actually go after that space again. Murray did some brilliant work. His, his defence is always outstanding. He was turning over ball even in this third test. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how, I think, especially the All Blacks later in the year, if Ireland keep that policy, how they attack it. We're going to look at the try that uh, J.P. Peterson scored in this test. <coughs> and now, it's, it's probably not, it's not a trend or anything in Ireland's mm -hmm. Bay, but we're just going to talk a little bit about how maybe they could have defended a bit better. And it is interesting that about players in the backfield. Tierno Halloran was possibly a little bit tied to the posts and, and couldn't get across and cover, but I guess the, the, the factor in that was that he had come and closed the gate on the left two phases before that. Murray's also in the line, so, so it's, a, it's a difficult situation. Andrew Trimble gets up and they want that line speed. They don't want to sacrifice it. So the kick goes and, and realistically, he, it's going to be very hard to, to actually prevent that try. Mm -hmm. Does that happen in test rugby? Like when Joe Schmidt reviews this try, is he saying, Tiernan, you should have been out there, you should have covered that? Is he saying, why did my winger drop back? Or does he maybe acknowledge that, look, sometimes you can't defend a try? Yeah, I, I, I think he would have a solution to it, which is always important. So the player can, maybe the next time in a similar situation, can go, do you know what, I need to get to this position a bit earlier. But I think from a player's point of view, it's always frustrating. Like That's going to be hard to watch because they said, you know, we might have been able to prevent it. But like you alluded to there, the reality is that Tiernan, because Keith Earls had made a tackle, he was working to get back out. So Tiernan had to watch that a bit. Okay, so he can't drop back and say, exactly. go Tiernan. Then with Conor Murray, I think he had made maybe two tackles in the lead up in previous phases. So Conor Murray is not here. Conor Murray's in the line. He's made a tackle again. So then Tiernan's going, okay, if someone chips through, that's also. So he's a lot of variables to cover. Now, whether that's a strategy of Farrell's, I'm not too sure. That they want, like you said, Conor Murray in the line, or they want the nine in the line. Personally, I think, I would like my scrum half not making as many tackles and to cover that, which would allow the flexibility. I'm not a defence coach, so yeah. th you know what I mean? So you're like Murray's just there and just lets him take those extra couple Maybe. steps possibly. Exactly, exactly. Now again, we don't know what fatigue levels are like coming to the end of the half. They've worked their socks off. Their voice is going, is someone telling Tiernan to go? I don't know. Is Tiernan talking to Andrew there? You don't know. So all these things. But as a principle, you will see four guys here on the blind side. Like that's going to hurt Joe watching the video going, who are we defending there? Yeah, I know there's a few players, but I think the dog on the street knows that the ball's not going to go that side in terms of their body language looking, are they going to get the ball? So by a principle, even if that guy gets around and makes an effort, we're a bit more secure there. We talked about South Africa being very condensed in around the rook. The whole idea is that we want, let's say, we'll just call it off a rook, we go one, two, and three. Mm. Your first defender, I think, was Rory Best or Jordy Murphy. Then it was either one of those two at Jordy, two. Jordy Rory, yeah. Jordy, Jordy Rory, and then Mike Ross. Now, no disrespect to Mike Ross, but every 10 in the world would like to see a tight head prop in front of them. But the next guy, it was Ian Henderson. And I think we talked about line speed. Line speed at the start of the game is always is going to be there. 38 minutes or whenever this was, it's going to be a lot more difficult because you're, you're quite fatigued coming towards the end of the first half. But by principle, if they put a little more pressure on him, he doesn't have the time on the ball to execute that. He seemed very relaxed. And in fairness, tip of the hat to him, it's the perfect kick. Like we look quite good in terms of our, our defensive makeup. And then uh, Peterson just does an exceptional catch as well. Yeah. So there is a balance of going, do you know what? Jesus, that was good. But at the same time, there's always ways you can stop a try when you look back at it and say, if we'd have done this, if we'd have done that. Easy to say because of what the effort they'd put in. 
and to say that, hold on, these guys on the side, these guys on the side have just made three or four tackles. They've been in a ruck, they're working to get back out. So it's easy to dissect it, to peel it back, but the reality is, if they had done that, if Ian Henderson and Mike Ross had got off the line to put more pressure on the 10, if he had got a, maybe a, a step or two out wider, and that's what Joe will say, that's hard to take as a player. You're gonna go, Jesus, give me a break. Like, you know what I mean? But the reality is that's the solution to that problem and it's tough to tough to watch and tough yeah. to say, yeah. Is it the least enjoyable part of being fresh player at Joe Smith review? Yeah, 100%, especially when you know you've made a mistake that's cost the team. Now, it's not as if anybody, any one individual had made an error there that cost a try. That was a very well executed try and you talk about taking opportunities. I think when you've done something wrong personally and you've let the team down and the coach highlights it and goes, you know what, you need to improve in that, you're like, oh God, I know. Like, there's no one knows more than the individual when they've made a mistake. And then for it to be pointed out, it's just like, but it is an environment where they're all learning and you have to have thick skin. Just because he's having a go at you, it's not a personal thing. But when it is you getting it, you're just like, oh, give me a break. But that's the reality, that's the environment they're in. And you can't be best buds with someone, you can't be pals with them. This is all to get better, this is all constructive criticism, but it's tough and it's direct and you've got to have thick skin. Yeah, I think some of the guys will probably enjoy their, their month off on the holidays. <laughs> Just finally on that defence, like seven tries conceded, but, but loads of positives in it. We saw guys stripping out of the tackle. When they go for that choke tackle, they're actually adding on that little strip out of contact. The tackle technique was superb, I thought, from Ireland. So lots of positives from Andy Farrell. An interesting maybe add-on to that is the fact that we're not really sure what Joe Schmidt is going to do um, with his future. But, but Andy Farrell is in the setup now, and there are a few who have indicated that look, we want to kind of build from within if Joe does leave. Do you think he's, Andy Farrell is a guy that can actually go in there and take over as head coach? I've, I've no idea. Um, I, I've, I, I know a little bit about him from playing in England uh, and the reputation he would have there. And on a purely anecdotal level, he's a very popular person. His manner and the way he has with the players, he's a good, he's a good bloke, he knows how to switch off. But when it comes onto the pitch, he's very aggressive, he's very kind of, pro putting his influence and his stamp and the player's stamp on the opposition and actually making the defence dictate what the opposition do rather than setbacks. That's a great mindset and a great attitude to have and over the course of time that will develop and that will evolve. So I think they've got a very good guy, they've got a very good coach and I think he's working well, he's kind of in similar mindset to Simon Easterby and these kinds of stuff. I think the balance is very good. I think everybody, I me personally would like to see Joe continue because I think he is an exceptionally good coach and I think if, he's, if Andy Farrell is given the opportunity to evolve what he wants to do, I think we're going to be in a very good place because, like we said, that crop of players, that age profile is there to develop and to build on. So I think we're in a very good place. Yeah, fascinating to find out if Joe gets that future nailed down. He said he'd make a decision after this tour, so hopefully he'll put uh, fans out of their misery soon. The next thing we want to talk about is this, um, this challenge mm -hmm. on Tierney O'Halloran. Like, I, I actually thought it was really good from Schmidt after the match. He, he didn't comment on it. Obviously, he's, obviously he's pissed off about mm -hmm. it. it was a, he obviously thought it was a red card, but I, I like the way he didn't dwell on it and actually put the defeat on Ireland's own shortcomings. That's, I think that's good coaching. Uh, referee, uh, coaches going after referees really mm. irritates me, to be honest, straight after a match. Mm. What was your take on it? Like, to me, it was a, it was a red card. I thought, I thought a red card was definitely coming. And that's not just based on the actual challenge itself. Like, anyone who's played rugby knows that these things happen. Mm. Anyone who's watched a lot of rugby knows these things happen. But based on what we've seen, I thought it was a red card. We're going to just look at the, the last clarification from World Rugby on this. Um, Clear, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. A red card, not a fair challenge. There's no contest and the player lands on his head. Okay, what's a fair challenge? Yeah. You got, they probably need to clarify that, but player lands on his head, neck or shoulder. Um, and it was really interesting that just before uh, Glenn Jackson, the referee, 
spoke to, to the TMO Roan kit, he was chatting to Angus Gardner, who's actually a, qu a high quality referee. And Angus Gardner, I think, tried to tell him it's a red card. He said, he's only got one arm up, i.e. he's not in a fair contest. No, he's not good enough for me when, when Jackson says, is he high enough off the ground? And then finally, most damning of all, he says neck and head. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a red card. Mm -hmm. That's a red card offence. What was your take on it? As an ex-player as well, what, what, what did you see there? Um, without getting into the technical wording and the subjective opinions of three different player uh, refs and video refs there, I personally didn't think it was a red card. I thought it was a yellow card, purely on the basis of where the South African fullback was getting shepherded by Trimble, just running a block line. He worked his socks off to get around him. And in fairness to the South African fullback, he had his eyes on the ball the whole time. He went up, I take the point that he didn't get that high off the ground, but you can see him going up with his one hand, like we've seen Andrew Trimble, like we've seen Keith Earls, like we've seen every contestable kick. That's their role to do. So I thought he was going for the ball. He was close to getting it. I think you saw later on, you saw Andrew Trimble doing the exact same thing, going up, and he had his arm around uh, the South African back rower when he caught it. So like, they're so, so close. And an issue like that, first of all, I feel sorry for Tiernan. That was Tiernan's first cap, his first opportunity. Unbelievably brave, and like the effort and the technique that he did to catch it, unbelievable catch for that to happen. Now, if I was his parents, I'd be like, Jesus Christ, he could break his neck. So I think there's complete inconsistency from the refs and from whoever comes from World Rugby, the way neck or shoulders or upper back, like a cop out his upper back. Like he landed on his shoulder, kind of. Mm. And sho like shoulder is a red card. It is. By, by the letter of the law, it's a red card. Shoulder. By the letter of the law, it is a red card. So it's a, it's a refereeing error. I would have thought if I'm a ref and I look at the letter of the law, it's a mistake. Personally, I didn't think it was a red card because I thought he went for it. Yeah. I thought it was a fair enough contest and it was just a horrible situation where you see it. It wasn't as if he was going up for the ball and the South African fullback just took his legs from underneath him when he was running for it. It, was, it wasn't poorly timed. There wasn't that. So. I can see the argument, but personally, I thought there was enough of an effort to go there for a contest. But by the letter of the law, yeah. you're right. Like I think there's a lot of people in your boat, and you don't want to get in Glenn Jackson's head. This is the exchange he has with, with Rowan Kitt. Like Glenn Jackson is an ex-player. He probably understands it the way that you do, or sees it the way that you do, but he knows that, it, he knows that the, yeah. the law say it's a red card. But Rowan Kitt gives him an out. He says, top of back, shoulders, and then neck. Mm. So I'm definitely looking at top of back. And if, if a player lands on his back, well then he can get out not giving that red card. Like that's the main issue here, isn't it? That, yeah. that we've got to this situation where maybe Willie Drew is not actually deliberately trying to take a player out. Mm -hmm. he's, he's almost certainly yeah. not, but the game has made that a red card offence. And now the referee has made a, a mm -hmm. big error in a big match and he gets cited afterwards, Willie Drew, but Ireland have, have lost the test. Mm. Like, um, I think it's a difficult, it's a difficult one from a player's point of view because, and a coach's point of view, because I know, I would have said 90% more coaches say, on a box kick, we want to kick to compete. So that competition for the ball is a vital part of a tactic of, again, we saw it again in the first test, when they peppered your man with, uh, with Gary Owens and box kicks and crossfield kicks, that it was a tactic that Ireland were using to try and regain possession. And Andrew Trimble was doing really well. He was putting them in all sorts of pressure. So to take that out of the game and to say you can't compete and it has to be a free catch will, will not allow that as a tactic for an attacking team will also take away that. It's quite, it's quite an interesting one to watch that competition in the air and it's like an unbelievable skill that certain people have. 
But I think, first and foremost, you've got to look after players' safety. And like Tiernan and O'Halloran's safety is the most important thing there. Just on the other side, if it was Willie LaRue, you'd be saying the exact same thing if he got taken out. So, they are, listen, they're the governing body. They have to make a stamp on this. And issues like this will address it over time, you would hope. It's very difficult to get right. I would, I would like to see it still as a competition. But if you have wording and referees understand the wording, if a person lands on shoulder or neck, it's a red card. That's the reality. Mm. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have some conviction in your uh, in your addressing of the situation. And like you said, like I can't stand people going to TMOs for the sake of going to TMOs. But the TMO is there to be a, a, a source that isn't involved in that emotion, in that heat, in that area where they can make a clear judgment on it and to give a ref an, an out by saying, you know what, I don't know. Mm. Like, come on, that that's not what we want. We want someone to say definitive, yeah, definitive, exactly. Exactly. We need a definitive decision from TMOs. It's going to be something that rolls on. I know we'll probably be back here next season talking yeah. about a similar issue. But in terms of where Ireland are after that tour, like looking at this photo, there's a couple of new faces. Matt Healy on his debut, and he, he did some great things. Where are Ireland at the moment? Do you think there's some big tests coming up? New Zealand twice in this year, and Australia as well. Are they in a good position to take on those challenges and actually get that historic win? Of course they are. Uh, I think it's like, unfortunately, I think everybody has seen the results that didn't go the w our way but they're like on like such fine margins that could have been different yes the second test got away from us i appreciate that but to be in an to be in a situation and have the opportunity to actually win the second test and be in control of the second test after we thought this big backlash was going to come back from these big bully south africans in south africa like this attitude of i don't know if it's there i'm just saying maybe they had an attitude of going over you know if we just get through the first test we, and we get one result we're going to it's going to be deemed as a success no it's not going to be deemed as a success these guys are good enough this generation of players are good enough and you saw like from the picture there we've got some unbelievable talent and hopefully they will use that as a tool to say do you know what that was an opportunity we let slip we could have done something that not a lot of irish people have done before let's not make that happen again so when we come to new zealand yes new zealand are the best team in the world we all know that but who's to say we can't beat them if we learn from these experiences and actually emotionally prepare for it, mentally prepared and tactically prepare that if you get into a situation, we don't throw the baby out of the bathwater and panic a bit and I don't know what to do. We go to our strategy that we said, whether it's at the first 10 minutes when we're fresh and we can go around the corner, we can go around the corner, we can do a move, we can execute a move. Why can't we do that at the 70th minute when the pressure is really on? Because that's the difference between the good teams and bad teams. You saw New Zealand, I know Wales, the, the, the scoreline wasn't close, but some of the passes the New Zealand guys did, it was catch-pass under a lot of pressure from good Welsh defence. It was catch-pass, execute, and they scored tries. So I think Ireland are more than capable of doing that. They've got a good balance of some good experienced guys there who can steady the ship and lead some of the younger guys, but the younger guys just take ownership of it because they've proved in this tour that they're as good as anybody, you know what I mean? And to be fair, I don't think South Africa are this great team that they're probably perceived to be. So uh, great learnings from it. I think they did very, very well. They deserve an awful lot of credit. After the long season they've had, their bodies are bashed. Some inexperienced guys there really did well. So overall they did well, but the reality is they lost a test series and they, they should have maybe, sorry, they could have or should have won it. Yeah, really interesting to see how the rest of 2016 pans out for Shane, thanks a million for coming Thank in. Thank you. Thanks everyone for watching. We'll be back next season. Cheers.